Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of Streamtime Sports. I'm your host, Nick Meacham, and thrilled to be joined by Minal Moda from Ampere Analysis and Steve McCaskill from Sports Pro. So, guys, we have some interesting stuff to talk about today. A big announcement's just hit the Sports Pro News uh, channel. Um, so, we need to talk about that because what it has have some pretty major ramifications for the industry. So, firstly, welcome, Minal. Good to, to see you. I think you've been on the podcast perhaps once before, a couple of exper- couple of appearances on the Sports Pro podcast, but great to have you with us again. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is going to be really exciting. And Steve, good to have you back once again. I know this will be going out pretty soon, so I think you're on last week's podcast. So it seems like you're becoming a, a even more regular regular than before, given um, given Chris's away at the moment. Great to have you back again, Steve. We're going to start with you. Firstly, why are we here? What are we talking about? What's this? What's this big deal that's uh, setting the whole industry uh, into a bit of crazy banter at the moment? Well, it does feel like. You know, as again, the last time I was talking about gaming, this time we're talking about wrestling, which do feel like two emergency sports pro things to a uh, you know, break glass in case of wrestling deal. Um, but basically, we're talking about this deal between WWE and Netflix. Uh, it's five billion dollars over over ten years, and there's two key components there. One is that WWE Raw, which is one of WWE's two main television shows is going to be exclusive to Netflix globally from January 2025. That includes the the US, which means that for the first time ever, Raw will not be available on linear television. It's quite a big step. And the second component is the global element of that, which means in pretty much every every country apart from the US, all of WWE's programming is going to be on Netflix. That includes Raw, SmackDown, and its premium live events, including WrestleMania. And that impacts the the UK and I think other territories can be added um, as and when. So it's a pretty significant deal in a lot of areas it's big for we it's big for netflix it's big for the us it's big it's big globally there's a lot of narratives at play here i mean it's bucked about every media rights trend we've seen in the entire industry i mean i've been one that's been vocal about i don't understand why netflix would need to to jump into the live sports game continuing their monopoly really of of households across the world and indeed markets like the us but I now what's your take what when you heard the announcement what was your initial reaction to it Honestly, I was really surprised by it. Um, I wrote a column for you guys last year to say why Netflix won't be buying any rights anytime soon. And they've managed to prove me wrong very quickly. But I think that it some of that still stands because this deal is quite different. WWE is a scripted sport and entertainment property. So it kind of still fits into what Netflix is doing in terms of its wider content offering. The scripted element falls into all the other TV shows and the movies that they have. And then they have a lot of sport documentaries. So it does lean into that quite a lot. So I still think they might not necessarily be going for the traditional live rights anytime soon, but this kind of feels like it could be a really perfect fit. It seems that Netflix keep sort of flirting and skirting around the edges of, of sports and live sports. I mean, this is about as close as they've been. They've done a number of live sports initiatives that aren't the traditional. Um, but what what do you think is the reason they've made this move? Is it because they've now just conceded or they've just realized that, you know, they want to keep growing, they have to invest into live streaming space, even if it's, let's, let's call it live sports, live sports and entertainment space? Or is there something else to play here? I mean, I can take that one first. I think there's a need for diversification. Like this, the global 
um, subscription OTT streaming market, there had there is still growth, but within the US, there's very much stagnant stagnation. So they really do need to diversify their offering a little bit. But also what I think would be really attractive with WWE is twofold. You have lots of secondary content that comes with it. So there's lots of original series, there's lots of documentaries, but then also there are a few different monetization um, opportunities for Netflix. So you have all these massive events that are currently on pay-per-view. Does Netflix go down a pay-per-view route, in which case it's a new revenue stream? Do they show it, but with advertising, in which case huge advertising revenue potential there? Or do they use it on their own platform, give it to subscribers for free, mitigate against churn, and then maybe attract some new subscribers when those events are on? So I think it's twofold, that monetization route, and then also lots more content added to their library. So looking through some of the specifics on the deal, um, from what I've read and heard that there's actually, it's it's announced as a 10-year deal, but there is a five-year get out for Netflix, but with also the ambition that they could extend it for a further 10 years if that is, uh, that everyone's happy with how it's all um, projecting. The the raw component is only US-focused, whereas in the international markets, it's the whole playbook, I suppose, of WWE's content. Steve, one of the things we've talked about when we've had you on before as well, talking WWE, is about that audience base. Just how, do you think that that's one of the reasons they made this move, that, that, that to tap into the, I guess, the loyalty that WWE fans have? Is that something that they think they, you think they really needed to bring to, to the platform? WWE's fan base is extremely loyal. They will move where the product goes. I mean, uh, Raw was on USA Network for, for many years. It's been on it's been on Spike. It's been on a few few other places. SmackDown has moved from channel to channel, and it's always sort of maintained that audience, even going 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 to Fox. It behaves like a sports property in some ways. For intents purposes, it, it broadcasts like a sports property. It deals with with uh, with broadcasters in um, in in the same way. But the other thing is, uh, as I think Manal was saying, a, a lot of people don't consume it like they consume it like a TV series, almost like a serial as well. It doesn't. There, there is a live component, and then there is an on-demand com- component, or people people who re- re- record it. And I think the reason why they've 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 gone for it in, in, in this way. I mean, it's a little bit similar to what's happened to WWE Network in you know in the US with 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 Peacock. It's being it's being consumed, and I think they've just decided that you know it, it fits in with their overall strategy of. Uh, Again, I say diversification, getting getting more fans on on there as possible, and and the wrestling fans will they'll move there. So you get that initial base, and then Netflix has this ability to make hits as well. So I did think they'd eventually move into sport. I didn't quite see this happening. I also didn't see a lot of the other moves they've been linked with actually happening because I thought they were too expensive or it wasn't really quite a good fit. But one thing WWE's always been good at is embracing new technologies it's been really quite proactive with social the WWE network itself was a really progressive idea and i I was chatting in the office today and i was thinking in a weird way WWE netflix are two of the companies that made streaming work for them and really advanced that their business had not got caught up in another another area so you've got that initial fan base that will follow they'll go they'll go wherever it goes it's it's probably a good good deal for them especially if it's you know in the US, they, they, it's going to Netflix, although you will need cable because SmackDown is still going to be on cable. But in elsewhere, it's what, nine, let's, let's use $9.99 as, the, as the, the figure. I know it can go up or down depending on adverts or how many devices you want. But that's a really compelling proposition for wrestling fans. You know, that's that's £10 a month to get everything. You don't have to subscribe to, you know, like in the UK, TNT. And 
WB, I guarantee you, in the lead up to WrestleMania, the first WrestleMania on Netflix, it's coming on the front page of of, of the Netflix page. It's going to draw people in, lapsed fans. Um, Peacock has seen ratings go up. Uh, sorry, WB has seen ratings go up since when Peacock for its for its major events. So again, it's I think it's twinfold. You have that loyal fan base that will go wherever wherever the, the product goes, and then you have that new that ability to bring new fan base, use the reach of the Netflix platform, and perhaps convert more of those. Uh, that's either lapsed fans or new fans that might have seen W content on TikTok or Instagram, you know, become long-term subscribers and, and, and sticky subscribers for Netflix. And then the next time they go for the negotiating table, it could be even greater than the, the sums being talked about this time. I mean, the, the couple of interesting parts to this really are, you know, the fact that this is basically 50, nearly near on 52 weeks a year. Is that right, Steve? You know, the, the raw uh, show. So, they are, they're not committing to even like an NFL or an NBA that has that seasonality here. They're committing to an event that is all year round. And I think that's pretty unique. You know, it basically doesn't happen in the sports space, right? You have the seasonality that always plays a role. Uh, that seems to be, I think, pretty significant to show that there's a commitment here that, hey, we're, we're going all in now on live live streaming. Is there, is there any part of your feeling now that this is going to be just a test case and we, they're going to wait and see? Or do you think the script's now flipped and they're now going to be all in on the sports space because it feels like this is something that for me just can't be something you, you make a move on unless you're going to keep spending. I think this is going to be a test case for them in all honesty because with everything that happened with Love is Blind last year it was a bit of a PR disaster for Netflix in all honesty and they're probably going to need to spend the next year really making that streaming tech robust. I was actually like mining through loads of articles yesterday to try and figure out if every weekly show is actually going to be shown live or if they're going to pre-record it and put it on Netflix, which will obviously put way less of a burden on Netflix. And then maybe it's just the four big live events every single year, in which case it would just make their life a lot easier. Um, I do think it will open the door a little bit for other properties. But if I was a traditional sports property, I personally wouldn't be getting too excited. If I was someone like the UFC, I'd be getting a little bit more excited about this because you want, it's it's that mix of sport and entertainment. If you fit into that bracket, I think you could partner with Netflix quite easily. Maybe something that's a bit more traditional, I think it might be a bit harder. Uh, Steve, what's your take? I don't think they're going to be pre-recording any of this. They they have pre-recorded shows in, in the past. So SmackDown used to be filmed on a Tuesday night and broadcast on a Friday night. Doesn't really work with WWE and their, their social strategy, I think, because they, uh, you know, in, in, in the social media age, spoilers. They like to be they like to be trending, and, and of course, you can you can filter that out, and you can only release your own content as as that's being as that's being. Um, you know, broadcast as uh, as as live i think as you say they're gonna have to spend the next year making sure that 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 tech stack is robust enough to handle this because that's one thing when you know that's always one thing everyone's worried about when you take something off linear and put it on digital is it robust is it going to uh squander the the goodwill from from, from fans so i think it will be live but i think they're definitely going to have to make sure that that it can it can support it as for other properties I still think Netflix can be selective. I'm still not going to believe or every time I'm brief that Netflix is interesting in X property, which I think lots of people like to do. I mean, if I believed all that, I'd expect to see ATP and WTA tennis and Apple TV. You know, <laughs> it's just people trying to drum, drum, drum it all up. But I, I think they're going to, you know, uh, UFC, yeah, I can, I can, I, I can see that. I can see um, influencer-led uh, led events going on there. And perhaps something that 
Netflix would like to build up, you know, it might take an undervalued property or take an ownership stick. I think that's much more likely. Um, I'm not saying it's going to go for some like the X Games itself, but I could see something like the X Games. That's something I think would be be a be a fit for for Netflix. So I don't think it will stop, but I don't think it's going to be that the free fall that that people are expecting or would like to see happen. I actually think if you're saying that you think that they will be going out live, the fact that they've only selected about five markets to begin with might be a bit of a strategy there because you're not going fully global on the first day. You have you are at least limiting the audience that is going to be streaming it, so that actually might be a really tactical move on their side. It's actually that's actually a really good point. Um, also, again, the, the time difference as well means that if you focus on getting the US right, uh, you know, you may not have to worry too much about, about mm-hmm. elsewhere because they watch it on demand. And as you say, limited markets to to begin with. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they do tackle the the tech stack issue that you, you mentioned because uh, clearly they've had some issues with Lovers Blind and the like, and the other um, broadcast efforts they've made around live sports to date haven't gone flawlessly yet uh, that's for sure so um, but one thing's for sure they definitely have the resources and there's plenty of great companies out there that can help them deliver it if they're going to make the full-blown commitment to it and given they've given themselves 12 months from this announcement I feel they've got the runway to to get there and and work it all out Uh, I mean my view is a little bit contrarian is I think this has to be the beginning point for them to start investing more and more I mean the only thing that would stop them is the complexity around so this is obviously my view, but the the view around how uh, most of the rights deals from any top property is done market by market, and that makes it obviously complex when there's such a global property. They won't want to be, I wouldn't imagine yet, going down the the rabbit holes of doing country per country deals with some of these sports properties. They will want the global ones. I think about what Apple and the MLS have done. Yeah, they're not going to want the country by country ones, but there's a finite number of ones that are going to be sold on a regional or a global basis. Um, I feel like DAZN's got women's football wrapped up or that's what they're trying really hard to do. So to your point, they might have to look at some of that lower hanging fruit or some of those emerging sports where they might be a little bit more open to different distribution methods. Yeah, I I think that uh, any property that, that can at least, you know, try and sync its, you know, its global uh, right cycles together, you know, they they're more likely to be targeted by Netflix than something that's a bit more piecemeal, a bit more, a bit more, a bit more fragmented. Um, the other thing I, I think is slightly related is, and um, Nick referred to MLS and, and Apple, is how important it is that WB produces all of its own content. So Netflix doesn't have, you know, it might have to get involved in the distribution side of, of the technology, but it doesn't need to get involved on in on the production side because WB does it all, all in-house already. Netflix doesn't have to make those investments. It is essentially, you know, paying paying the, the rights fee for the content and and trying to improve its own its own infrastructure. So and you've seen that you know again MLS, you know, that's taken on production responsibilities. It was able to sync its global calendar. So even if it is the start of something else, I think that I don't think it's going to get too bogged down in the um, the, the market specifics of um, you know of of, of different di- excuse me different uh, different markets getting bogged down in the specifics of each market. But uh, there's very few properties of, of that size that are global and have that that you know they've synced their cycles for it to go for. So yeah, I'm not really sure who would be the ne- the next logical target. I was actually going to make a point like. In the grand scheme of things, when this comes, if you think about Netflix's content spend, right? So we're, we're, we forecast at Ampere that they're going to spend, I think it's like over $15 billion this year on TV and movies. So when you then talk, when we talk about this WWE deal in that context of 500 million a year, 
actually it's a really nice like testing ground that isn't going to break the bank for Netflix. And if they're then not having to invest in the production, they're investing in the tech, yes, and they're investing in the marketing aspect of it. It's a bit of a safer option for them. Like this, this is why I think this isn't them going fully in on sports because when you really put that number into context, it's still a very, very tiny proportion of what they are spending on TV and movie content. It will, I think it will grow, like, but possibly at a far slower pace. And it all depends on the, the returns on investment that they're going to get with it. Uh, but I do think that that bit of context is quite important when analyzing the deal. Yeah, I think it, when, when when Apple made that MLS deal, it was described as you know, uh, a rounding error or a marketing investment for 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 Apple TV. You know, uh, I, you know, it was a uh, two billion, two point five billion. I, I can't remember off the top of my head the the MLS deal, but yeah, Netflix five billion. It's you know, Netflix doesn't you know generate as much cash as Apple, uh, and it's it's a bit more of a larger investment, but. Uh, Absolutely. In the, in the grand scheme of things, when you think how much prestige drama costs, you think how much they these things are get, got expensive. You know, it, it, it's it's not that big a sum in the grand scheme of things. And yeah, although you know, you could argue it doesn't have as long a tail. It's still it's still worthwhile investment. So let's speculate a little bit, shall we? Who do you think, if they are going to start spending on live sports, who would be the next logical partner for them? Who's the one that? Is on their lips. Is it? Is it an NBA? Is it an F1? Is it someone else that we haven't talked about yet? Who do you think is the one that they should be going after next? I mean, I would say someone like the UFC. Like you know, WWE and UFC have already had the merger with IMG. Like it seems to be the logical next step. There is that sport and entertainment mix. There isn't that scripted element, so that would actually move them slightly further in to live sport. Um, but for me, that's where I would see it kind of going. I feel like this should be saved for one of our annual prediction <laughs> sessions where we make bold, slightly outlandish ones. So I'm not sure how much I actually actually believe this, but if we're looking at how this deal is structured from a US versus international point of view, let's take the NBA, for example. Let's say Netflix gets one of the national rights packages in the US and then gets the international rights to League Pass in the same way that DAZN has with, with, with Game Pass. I don't think it can strike a global deal in the, in the same way, just because I think the NBA, NBA rights can be too valuable in, other, in certain international markets. You look at the break of that domestic versus international broadcast revenue. I, th- I think it's probably too high for them to go for. But I think League Pass is is doable, and I think maybe one national slot. So, yeah, not sure how serious I'm being, but that would be perhaps uh, if if they developed a blueprint, that would be how they follow up with it. So, Steve, what about someone like Formula One? You know, obviously they have a lot of rights deals in a lot of different markets. They have a pretty solid OTT offering. Do you think someone like F1 and obviously the relationship they've had with the, and the success of Drive to Survive is someone they should be looking at seriously as a possible partner? I think a step or two away, in all honesty. The amount of money Formula One generates globally is huge. So Netflix would have to come to the table with an absolutely enormous offer. And then there are risks for Formula One as well. Yes, you get this global exposure through a platform like Netflix, but from a really practical perspective, if you don't have sales teams out there selling your broadcast rights on a regular basis, you lose some of those relationships within those broadcasters. So then if Netflix, if you're putting all your eggs in one basket and Netflix decides to pull out, who are you going to? You have to kind of start from scratch and build those relationships up and to then go from a global partner to multi-market partners again. That's going to be a really, really difficult thing to do. So 
you, I think you'd have to have some precautions in place that Netflix would have to give you a lot of notice before they cancel the deal like WWE have done. Um, but I think that's one or two steps too far right now. I think the other thing with that is uh, the the US still, you know, it's not it's not F one's main broadcast market. I think that's the you, you know to use the example of some examples we've given now. The US is the primary market, and the rest are supplementary. I also think that you know Netflix has vast reach, but I think for you know for all the audience gains made by Drive to Survive, there's still a large part of its audience that probably the linear television is the best way to reach them and then there's small you know there's regulatory issues i think there for for some uh for some races need to be on free free to air tv how do you how do you make that work and then i think finally again just use the f1 as, as, as an example uh you know will the sponsors get the same amount of exposure that they might want across all those different different uh different demographics i think f1's probably a little bit more this more complicated it's it sort of makes sense and it sort of doesn't it's 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 in that weird uh, territory in between one thing I want to talk about is is actually Netflix approach around ad supported subscriptions. I looked at their stats from their earnings call, about 23% of their subs are now ad supported overall and about 40% of the new subs coming in are ad supported. So ad supported subscriptions is becoming a huge part of their business. What do you now what's your take on on the fact that Netflix has, has made this move and it seems to be going so well? No, I think it's a really good one. And it fits the economic, wider economic um, landscape in so many countries at the moment. You know, we were getting to a point where there is so much fragmentation in the um, OTT space that people were account sharing left, right and centre. People were pirating content and like people getting rid of things that they're just not using by bringing in a slightly cheaper tier. And actually testing this idea that millennials, Gen Zs, Gen Alpha don't want to watch advertising, really testing that, it it has really paid off for them. And it, when it comes to live sport, if you think of a lot of the traditional broadcasters, so much of the money that they make is around advertising. So it does give them another string to their bow that if they do go down and buy more sports, they have this other thing. They're not just going to be relying on subscription based revenue they have advertising there as well um i would be very I, I mean i would be surprised if they didn't re-roll it if they didn't start rolling it out to some of their other markets um if it's been that successful especially in the us and the uk um i think we'll be seeing it in so many of the other ones as well and also just on that because they are cracking down on account sharing they are giving people at least a cheaper alternative option rather than them churning completely at least they're saying, look, there's an entry level one that if you do still, do still want to have access, you can do. So it's actually a really, really clever move from them. And Steve, what's your thoughts as to whether a fully added funded model can actually work? It should perhaps with this investment into live sports, maybe look at a fully ad funded model where there is no subscription and no barrier to entry, no paywall. Should it be something they should consider bringing into play to perhaps tap into those uh, those those lower tier fans or those that what, what linear uh, audiences that perhaps was generating in the past. I think it would really depend on how the the ad product performs for for their advertisers. I don't know if I really see that happening if they go down the go down the fast route. Uh, I think the only way that could happen is if they did get more heavily involved in sports and as part of those negotiations they agreed to open up certain content and they decide to monetize it themselves. I think Netflix. What they've done so far has worked quite well for them. They, they you know, they they they're doing well. We've seen the latest financials. Subscribe numbers are up. These ad-supported um, tariffs, or sorry, price plans, are having a design impact. The cut down on on, on 
password sharing is having having noticeable impact. I think it's been like 30 million new users in the last year or something, 13 million in the last quarter. I don't think they need to do need they need to do fast or go or, or go down that route. Uh, Netflix is appears to be making success of streaming and the ones that it's basically uh i'm trying to think of a better term of this uh, spooked into trying to do streaming aren't faring as well with the investments in content and i think they've they've managed to make most they've managed to get most of the things right so far since they since they went into this space uh, i don't think they'll do fast unless they really really have to or they think it makes sense and that might be the next time they need to increase subscriber numbers but at the minute they don't need to they're seeing growth so what do you think is the likelihood of us seeing more deals play out um, in live sports? No doubt the whole industry is getting very excited about the fact that Netflix is here, uh, including me. But do you think there's more deals to come imminently? I would be really surprised, famous last words, if they sign any more deals this year. Because in my, if I was someone at Netflix, I would use the first couple of years of WWE to see not only how it performs from a tech perspective, but what it does for profitability and for revenues. And if they find that sport is an avenue that works for them, at that point, you'd be like, right, we want to go all in or we want to go bigger on this. But right now, they don't really have that proof of concept when it comes to live sport. This is very much the dipping the toes in. So if I was somebody, especially in their finance team, I'd want some proof before I'd be writing more checks for them. Now, this deal has only come along a few months after the launch of TKO, the the acquisition and merger between UFC and WWE. Do you think, Steve, it's possible that this deal might have been already on the table when Endeavor came came in for WWE? I'm taken back to the story that Bernie uh, Bernie Eccleston, uh, obviously who founded Formula One, was one of the playing off both sides, both the, the, the teams and the manufacturers and, and the FIA in telling them both respective parties that there was a deal to be done. Both sides wanted to do a deal, yet they weren't really on playing the same hymn sheet. In fact, neither side was really ready to do a deal. And that, that sort of uh, bridgemanship or gamesmanship was a, a, a way of him to bridge that gap and ultimately get F1 off the ground. I don't know. I just feel like do you think maybe Ari Emanuel or Mark Shapiro may have done something similar or uh, has it all happened so fast in just a couple of months' time? I'm I'm really not sure on how long this has been in, in, in the works for. I've been trying to figure that out and, and, and find out. But I, it, this seems like quite a considered deal and I'm wondering if it, it, do, if it does predate, um, you know, the... the the formation of TKO may, conversations may have been happening in the, in, in the background. I mean, it, I'd be surprised if if this could, you know, WWE has, has embraced virtually every platform there is. It's, it has conversations with virtually every every broadcaster around. I think they would be able to to have those those negotiations themselves. Uh, what I think for with TKO, it's, it's more the cross platform, more being able to be bigger than the sum of its parts. There was speculation that the that UFC and WWE's streaming rights could be sold together. That's obviously not happened with this, unless there is that UFC deal we don't know about um, f- further down further down the line. So yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure what the uh, what the formation of TKO ha- had had on this, whether that changed the track in this. And um, what I would say is, I think you know, to use a non-sporting analogy, if you're Bernie Eccleston one, I think it was more like when them when the Bob Geldof was putting Live Aid together. He was telling all the bands that the, everyone else agreed to play. So uh, that, that might have been a, a clean, a clean way of putting it for a non-sporting audience. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure on that. So, Steve, do you think this deal is quite a risky play by Netflix? Do you feel like perhaps investing in sports is a more safer investment than perhaps some of the bets they make on original content, or do you think there's a lot of risk behind it investing such a significant amount of money into WWE? 
I mean, five billion over over ten years sounds like a lot. It's not a lot, really, when you consider those the cost of some of those prestige TV dramas. It's the same with Apple and MLS. Uh, That was about two two billion, two point five billion for 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 a similar period. And for companies with this much revenue, that's actually not a huge risk. It's you know it's, it's a sizable outlay for for Netflix, but it's it's not like you know it has to invest significant amounts in production because WB makes everything itself. So if it doesn't it doesn't work it doesn't work, then the obviously it's spent a lot of money on licensing. It might have had spent some money on its technological infrastructure, which it probably has to make anyway if it wants to to do more kinds of en- entertainment. So. It could be testing the water. Netflix, as we know, is a, a very data-driven business in terms of what it recommissions, what it what it, it tries to target. I think we've seen only recently we've, we've got some insight into that, that data. It's been a very closely guarded secret by, by Netflix for for many years, but now that it's opening up uh, to advertisers, it needs to offer them offer them some metrics. So, yeah, I think it, it is a surefire way of increasing the audience. I don't think that's that's um, that's a controversial thing to say, you know, in terms of in terms of getting those, you know, if if Raw pulls in two million, three million a week, and on, on on a good on a good week, yes, not everyone's going to make that jump, but if, you know, a sizable part of that audience audience is internationally. Again, uh, this is effectively the end for WWE Network. So you think about all those people who are actively subscribing to WWE Network. They're going to definitely continue to subscribe to Netflix, although you could argue quite a lot of them might already be subscribed to Netflix, but it's going to keep them subscribers. So, yeah, I think it's it's not necessarily a risk-averse move, but I'd, I think you're right. It is definitely a way of getting that audience, and then perhaps it's comparable with other investments it's made. Actually, just on that, Steve, we ran some numbers. Like so We did a few back-of-the-envelope um, calculations, and from our consumer survey, we know that across the markets that they're going to launch in, 28% of WWE fans don't currently have Netflix. So that equates to about 1.9 million households or $336 million a year. So if we're saying it's going to cost them $500 million a year, there is still a shortfall there, which is where those other monetization opportunities kind of come in. Now that is assuming that it stays at the current ARPU levels. Obviously, if there are price increases, that goes up. But there is a tiny shortfall there because their Netflix's penetration into WWE fans is so high in all these markets already. So what's your thoughts, Benal? Ampere analysis is is clearly across a lot of the spend around original content and across entertainment. Um, Do you guys think perhaps investing in live sports and events with such a defined audience base like sports has allows them to generate some efficiencies perhaps with their spend around original content? Potentially, I think it depends on the sport content that they're going to end up with. So like with WWE at the moment, it it does have a very hardcore loyal following, but it's not the biggest in the world. So if they manage to pull in more people from the casual side of it or from the lap side, like I used to watch WWF growing up so much, I haven't really watched it in the last decade or so. Will I watch it on Netflix? Yes. So if they can pull people like me in, then that is potentially an argument, but the proportion of their subscriber base who is interested in that high-end original content is going to be significantly bigger. So I think they're still going to be taking the punts with that, but you are right. It's a much higher risk strategy because you can end up spending a couple of billion on something and it just won't work um, and it won't land. Whereas with live sport, it's not just a guaranteed audience from the fan base, but you get so much more content around it because it's so much longer. So you get eyeballs for longer and that's where ad revenues and things like that can come in to really bolster their revenues. Well, one thing is for sure, 
the deal has got the whole industry excited and hopeful that Netflix has just begun a, a big shopping spree across live sports. Um, and once again, we're here sitting talking about another major media rights deal being done with a US sports property and cashing in on media rights, yet whilst the rest of the market is finding it really tough to see the same sort of interest uh, in other, uh, other regions. So ultimately, like, will Netflix continue spending? They say they say no, based on their latest earnings calls. Their CEO said, said as such. But I now will change my tune, I think, to expect another deal to come in the not-so-distant future. Who that is is a whole other question, but uh, let, let's see what, what develops over the next couple of months. Anyway, that's all we've got time for. A big thank you to you both, Steve and Manal, for joining us and for everyone tuning in. Before you go, myself and Nick would just like to thank you for tuning into this episode of Streamtime. If you found the episode insightful, please make sure you like and subscribe on whichever platform you listen to. As a growing podcast, we'd greatly appreciate your support in sharing or writing a review. Ultimately, we want this podcast to not only entertain you, but also hopefully help you navigate the digital sports landscape. If you have any feedback on previous episodes or any topics and speakers you'd like to hear from in the future, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can find myself and Nick Meacham on LinkedIn or on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at SportsProChris1. Nick can be found at SportsProNick. Of course, if you want to stay fully up to date on the sports business news cycle, please make sure to visit the Sports Pro Media website or sign up to one of our several newsletters to make sure you don't miss anything. Once again, thank you, and we look forward to you joining us next week on the Streamtime Podcast.